never had the dream, I'm gonna be in front of crowds and a lot of people will have their eyes on me. My North Star this whole time has just been trying to keep everything authentic. Like authenticity really matters to me. So I think that's the only way I've been able to survive having all this pressure on me all the time. I'm Authentically Mike Moschetto, and this is Authentically Selling Out. I'm the casino that pays nothing when you win. Please put your money in. Hello, you're listening to Selling Out, one dumb guy's look at how DIY and independent music fits into the larger machinery of the economy. Are they cogs? Are they sprockets? What? What even is a sprocket anyway? And is it better or worse that a sprocket should be wet? I'm Mike Moschetto. Thanks for joining me again. Hopefully I can answer all of your sprocket-related questions today. First off, I just have to note that I'm using a different microphone. I don't know if you would have noticed, but I just want to put that right out there on Front Street. Full transparency is the selling out way, after all. Uh, Also, I didn't release an episode last week. Maybe you noticed that, more likely. Um, Sadly, my productive streak of hardly working from home is over now, and I'm back on the job. So I guess that means the whole coronavirus thing is old hat. Anyway, I hope you will find the wait since my last episode worth it, because today I'm speaking with Yvette Young from the band Covet. They have a new album called Technicolor out next week, Friday, June 5th, on the estimable Triple Crown Records. Now, if you aren't familiar with her or her band there, I guess I'd say that they're part of a vanguard, if you will, of young bands, mostly mostly instrumental bands that are being recognized and indeed celebrated because of their proficiency and talent at their instruments rather than in spite of it. Uh, I'm thinking of bands like Polyphia and Chon and Town Portal and certainly Covet as well. Now, uh, when I was a boy, a critter, you know, knee-high to a grasshopper, I was practicing to become a rock guitar legend, you know. Uh, This was, of course, before the weight of the world crushed my spirit, but I would watch TV and I would listen to the radio and I would lament, my perception anyway, that the bands who could really shred were being overlooked uh, in favor of artists that took the path of less resistance in their songwriting. And then I got older and I learned of all the different forms that good composition can take, And I even learned that sometimes I don't really even care about good songwriting and that an avant-garde, a rhythmic wash of deconstructed soundscapes and, you know, even basic sign tones just really hits the spot sometimes. But there's a small part of me that is kind of elated to see people like Yvette playing her ass off to bigger and bigger crowds, getting more and more attention from companies that make cool gear And it's not because Covet have dumbed things down. Rather, they've only become more interesting and more adventurous. Anyway, she is so, so talented. She's whip smart, good attitude. Just a joy to talk to overall. We spoke about her signature model guitar, the Ibanez Talman that's built to her specs. We talked about the coronavirus, obviously, and a lot of other stuff. So here's my chat with Yvette. First, how are you? Uh, healthy, family healthy, friends and everything? Yep, everyone over here, healthy. Uh, I'm doing great as well. I feel like uh, I really needed this time off. I really did. Uh, I really needed this privacy. I feel like I haven't had privacy 
for for probably like half a year now. And uh, yeah, I've just been using this time to teach myself some new skills that I never had the time or courage to get around to doing. Uh, like what? Like this is a, a thing that comes up a lot when we try to catch up with friends over Zoom calls or whatever. It's like working on any new skills. And I'm like, mm, no. <laughs> so um, I'm curious to hear what you've come up with. I've been teaching myself how to record and teaching myself a bit more about like compression and general mastering stuff, cool. EQ stuff, just just audio engineering tidbits here and there. I tried programming my first MIDI drums. Uh, I've been educating myself more about some pedals that I felt like were kind of Rubik's Cube pedals <laughs> that I didn't really understand, but I wanted to. Okay. So I've been kind of just diving into other people's reviews and really learning what some the, the true capabilities that some of my pedals can have. Because I think for some of these things, I've just been using them as like a basic delay, but there's like a secret mode where you can unlock. I don't know. (laughs) I I, I bought a a Count to Five, a Montreal Assembly Count to Five. It's it's amazing, but apparently it's one of those things that I can like plug into a computer and get firmware updates. And I'm just like, no, 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 this is like too much for me. It's staying on my board. Yeah, I have a a guitar amp, the Tonewood amp that I I just installed it on my acoustic and you can update different tones on your Tonewood amp (laughs) as well. So she's Technology is wild. Have you watched the the Knobs channel on YouTube out of curiosity? Yeah, he's incredible. One of my favorites. Maybe like my favorite. There's not there's not a lot of people vying for that top spot for me. I like uh, the Pedal Zone guy because he's really excited all the time. Like the way he talks about music, I feel like he's going to cry at any moment. And I'm just like so happy for him. Oh, that's he's nice. so, he just makes me excited. <laughs> Yeah, that's infectious. That's that's a really good quality to have. I love that. That's what makes a good teacher. Someone who's, whose enthusiasm and love for the topic is contagious. You're absolutely right. Um, Covet is releasing a record very soon. Very strange and uncertain time to be releasing a record. Um, I know. <laughs> I know that, you, I mean, you're in good hands with Fred and the whole gang over at Triple Crown, but um, how has the pandemic kind of changed the conversations about going forward with it? Well, I mean, we even debated releasing it at all because we're not going to tour around it. That's uh, At first, we were trying to hold on to some hope that maybe in July we'll tour, mm. but you know, I doubt it. Um, right. So we're rescheduling for the fall, which also seems a bit up in the air. Right. So, but, but we figured, you know, we might as well get this album out. I personally don't think it. I mean, I don't really know that much, but. I don't think that it's a problem to release an album and not tour immediately around it. Like, if anything, the way people consume music, like, they'll just be stoked to finally get to hear it live. Yeah. Um, And I I also think that people, you know, are more forgiving. Like, if it were a normal circumstance and you released an album and didn't tour for, like, six months, maybe, maybe it would suffer a little bit. But people are pretty... Like no one's, you're not like competing with anyone. It's not like there's other shows happening or other tours that are taking your thunder, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I feel like it's kind of nice to have an album out that you can sit and digest and process. And then by the time you can see it, you know it front to back. It's like, I remember I used to love going to shows where I already knew the songs because I would just like, you know, like sing it front to back along with the band or, you know, I know exactly where the changes are. And I always like that feeling. Yeah, yeah. When things are 
maybe cleared to reopen again. I've been asking people this, so apologies if it feels boilerplate, but like what what's your stance on on getting to a show or going to play a show? Like, will you be the first in line? Or are you just gonna rush right back into it? Like, can you not wait? Or are you a little bit more hesitant, trepidatious, cautious, worried? It's a complicated question because I think me by default, I'm not really much of a oh God, I feel like such a hypocrite admitting this, but I'm actually not much of a show goer. Like, um, I think it's because I do it for a living and just the kind of venue atmosphere can be really overwhelming and exhausting for me. It just kind of, you know, I think I'll go if it's like my friends and I'm trying to support um, or if it's like someone I really look up to, like, um, I don't know, if like Nils Fromm or like Olaf Arnold or Richie Sakamoto came to town, like I would definitely go to, I think it's more of like a concert setting where you're like sitting. <laughs> okay, sure, but sure. Yeah, I think um, my honest answer to that was like, I was never that much of a show goer in the first place. Like I just go just to catch up with my touring friends, essentially. Um, but that being said, in these circumstances, I think uh, I'm excited to be able to consume live music with with yeah. other people right. <laughs> in a venue environment. I am heartbroken that a lot of these local venues are shutting down. I feel like there's conflicting uh, news about what's going on with the pandemic every day. And I don't really feel like every state is unified with like how they're handling it. I don't oh, think it's people like are that Im- jazz improv. Like, yeah, I just, I, I see people fighting all the time on, social media over it and at this point i just really feel like it's like a better safe than sorry thing like i'd rather just kill this thing like for good and not prematurely open things up and have like a second wave you know and i don't know like as eager as i am to get back to touring and everything i feel like i'd rather just play it safe yeah exactly and i mean uh, you 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 did say that you do this for a living and i want to get back to that but like now it's been, you know, two months. Have you started to kind of feel that absence in terms of like your income, your bottom line, like without going into any specifics, of course, but. You know, it's funny is it's not like we make that much money from touring. Like prior to this, I didn't have any revenue from music for a while because I was just in the studio recording and writing. So it's like, I've been sitting on not making any money for half a year now, pretty much. Um, I mean, I have like streaming come in and, and there's like passive income stuff, which has kept me afloat. But, you know, if anything, touring was in our biggest, well, I think touring for the band was a big moneymaker. But for me personally, after paying off like crew and everyone, it's not like I go home with a ton of money anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, So for me, I'm just excited to have this time to make video content, to to work on new songs. I think it's like this time right now, time is money and this time is an investment in whatever I do in the future. I'm viewing it as that way. Absolutely. And I mean, you're typically very engaging with that kind of stuff on social media anyway, but like, obviously it seems like you've been cranking it out even even more to keep people's minds off all the bad news. Yeah, and I've just been getting offered to do more too. Like <laughs> Premier Guitar has me like reviewing pedals now and like, um, you know, all the companies need quarantine content. So they've been hiring me to like make little videos here and there. And it's been also nice because I've been able to practice my video editing skills. I just view this time, like I'm lucky that I'm sitting on a little bit of savings. So mm. um, 
my mom always taught me got to like set some aside for a rainy day. And I view this time as my rainy day. Um, Good. So yeah. I'm using this time to just try to get better at what I do and, and not fall behind. Cause I feel like, you know, like when you have constant deadlines and you, and you have time pressure, um, you're less likely to experiment and you're less likely to try something new or to try to get better at something because then if it doesn't work out or if you mess up, it doesn't turn out like how you want. You just wasted that really valuable time. Mm. But now when time is no longer a factor, I find myself more likely to like try to do something where I might fail and I might have nothing at the end because it just simply doesn't matter. It's all about the process and it's about learning instead of um, productivity and uh, utilitarianism. It, it's funny. You mentioned having privacy again for the first time in a while, but like if you're putting out more content and kind of putting yourself out there at an increased pace, uh, do you st do you have that privacy? I mean, I guess you're still controlling what people see, but you know. I, I think I just meant like literal privacy. Like I was living in a cramped room with a bunch of dudes for uh, a while. Yeah, so that's a good it's like, <laughs> yeah, I think I just like waking up in my own bed every day. There's something grounding about that for me. Like I, I need that, uh, consistency, uh, being able to like, just use my own bathroom. <laughs> like it's, yeah. like, <laughs> it's, a, it's nice it's if a, you can get it totally. Yeah. Like it's totally a luxury I take for granted. Just having, even the, having the, the, the space and the, the quiet time to think, like, I feel like I was in a very overstimulating environment with people all the time. And sometimes you can't even process, reflect, or think. Uh, the first couple of weeks of quarantine, I spent really just processing how I was feeling. And I realized that I was like internalizing and like um, uh, trying to bury a lot of things <laughs> that I wasn't dealing with. And, you hmm. know, I got it all out now. Good. Catharsis. Yeah, catharsis. <laughs> now, I wonder if if you're kind of producing content at an increased clip. I mean, this seems like a time where it'd be you'd be kind of vulnerable. I, I get what you're saying about the experimentation, but like, does that pressure to to deliver for people who are hiring you for these little demo videos or for lessons or whatever? Like, do you ever have to make a video or teach a lesson and then you're just not feeling it? Like, does that pressure take over at any point? Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, my favorite thing about that kind of work is I always try to find a way to get myself excited about it. Like what I learned is sometimes like you're given these parameters by companies. I even just did a commercial recently where, you know, like, um, like an honest to goodness TV commercial. Yeah. Like, uh, like it's, if you watch Hulu and stuff, like I'm in the middle, like singing a song. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. With a lot of these companies, like they, I think they reached out to me cause I mean, even in the emails that they sent, they're like, we like your organicness and we like how it doesn't come across as like a forced ad or you're selling something. So I feel like because it's that position that they're taking, it's easier to try to negotiate things and try to like pitch your own ideas and collaborate on the final product rather than just fulfill a bunch of objectives. Like sure. I always ask them like, please outline like what you would like for me, bare essentials, and then I'll work with you on like what I can add extra or what I think we should take out because it maybe doesn't feel organic. And usually everyone has been really reasonable.
we've been talking about that you're, you know, kind of a brand ambassador. Mention some, won't list many more because they've provided me absolutely no ad revenue. Um, oh, but uh, it is worth mentioning that you have what I think every guitarist kind of wants on some level, which is a signature model with your name on it. Um, how, like, how, what does that feel like? Like to go to, a, I guess, maybe a music store, maybe not right now, but uh, to go on <laughs> to like- virtually browse to yeah, a music right. store and see- <laughs> See the Yvette Young yeah. Talman. It's crazy. I, it's surreal. I, I still don't like- you know, it's really funny because I got offered a signature before and the first time I declined because I said I wasn't ready. Um, hmm. And I don't know. I just feel like maybe I overthink these sorts of things. Like I want to feel like I really earned it. And I don't know. I, I have been working my ass off. I have been working really hard, but I don't know if I'll ever feel like I like deserve a signature. Oh, I don't know <laughs> um, about that. But yeah, I mean, that being said, having wonderful, really amazing, honorable things happen like this, like it kind of incentivizes me to work even harder so that maybe I'll feel like I deserve it. I feel like whenever people like invest in me as like a person <laughs> or like as a musician or artist, I'm always like so amazed and bewildered and it makes me just work even harder. <laughs> that's, a, that's probably a good attitude to have. I mean, I think a lot of people look at things like that as an end point or like a, uh, an achievement where it's really kind of just the work begins, you know, like the, the jumping off point to, some, to the next thing. Yeah. Okay. Like if anything, longevity takes upkeep and you can't just like work really hard and be like, I've paid my dues. I stop here as growth wise. Uh, like, you know, people around you are always not to make it a competition, of course, but like people around you are always progressing. There's always new things coming out. Like the music industry itself is like an ever evolving, ever changing organism. And you can't just be static and expect everything to just stay the same, you know? And sure. it's one of those things where I never read any music business books, even though I probably should. It's probably irresponsible of me and not. But I've had to learn a lot of things just by trial and error and like just being in the battlefield real time. Well, I also think that by the time you read a music business book, by the time it goes to oh. print and publication, it's obsolete. Obsolete. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, jinx. Yeah, I 100% <laughs> agree. There's like <laughs> the music is industry is ever evolving rapidly changing and growing so there's no way to like pin it down to an exact formula what do you think of like live streamed performances in lieu of shows i think it's a cool way for artists to make money but to be honest i kind of hate doing them because it's like there's something so nice about like the energy of a in, in, of a venue like you're you're on stage you're playing and there's like people there there's other people there with you and everyone's stoked like that's what i love about shows is everyone in the audience is so hyped to be there and and you might make a new friend because you you like the same band but i feel like in a live stream you're missing that energy you're missing that excitement the first time that i ever saw like somebody pushing a live stream show it was maybe like four or five years ago, I think they just mic'd up a band in someone's basement and just broadcast it to like Facebook Live. And I was like, if this is the future of shows, this sucks. But I mean, now that it's all that there is, I've you know, hard, hard pressed to really criticize it. But uh, like, God, workshopping new material, like playing new stuff and just having an instant response from people like, oh, that didn't really hit. That didn't really take. That didn't work. Or that really did. Damn. Yeah. I also get nervous because it's like permanently up there <laughs> on the internet forever. <laughs> it's probably in your best interest to save it for some kind of posterity, right? I can't watch myself after. <laughs> like, 
I, I know some people love watching their live set and going through it, but I just cringe. I don't know why. It was interesting for me to start a podcast because I hate the sound of my own voice. So, Oh, man. Yeah. And the same way where it's like listening to myself talk. Sometimes I'm like, I didn't know you were a valley girl, Yvette. Jeez. Like, <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah, hearing my inflection and everything. But yeah, I, I kind of hope, I do hope that it, the future is not live stream based because, you know. Okay. Like one thing that I don't like about quarantine is I feel like everyone is really uh, my introvert is showing. Uh, everyone is so accessible. Like it's just like anyone can FaceTime you and there's Zoom hangouts every day. And yeah. I I kind of don't like not having an excuse to be like, I can't make the Zoom hangout. You know what I mean? Like uh, I, I kind of like having boundaries, I guess. Oh, like when you go hang out, hang out with someone in a public setting, like you, you like at a restaurant, you have the meal and then you go home. But like now it's like anyone can phone you anytime. <laughs> Structure is nice for sure. I probably sound like such a Scrooge right now. <laughs> no, you're totally right. I mean, it's just these kinds of social norms that we kind of took for granted. But like it's part of the same culture of like people never really stopping working or being off the clock because you're immediately yes. reached by email on your phone wherever you go. Um, 100%. Which I feel like is probably a pressure that remains when you're a musician full-time because like you have to yeah. be reachable at basically any time of day or night. Oh yeah. I'm never off the clock. I wake up and I immediately am like, well, what emails do I have? What press do I have to do today? What can I work on? Like nothing you have as a musician has a, a hard deadline unless your label is like, you better make an album by this date. Um, that's a hard deadline. But like, you know, writing songs and stuff, it all depends on your own work ethic and your own like you know, just how well you structure and plan your day. So I have this whiteboard next to my room that has all these note cards and it's all various songs that I have to finish or tasks I have to do or things I want to learn. And I choose one or two off the board every day to try to tackle. And that's my structure. Wow. That's very structured, actually. I guess I, I figured out that I do well when I, I set goals for myself and I, I have to finish them by the end of the day. I make a lot of arbitrary deadlines because like, I find that if I just keep on pushing the due date, I'll never finish it. Mm. Let's circle back a little bit to, um, I've never spoken to anyone with their own signature model guitar, but what I've been curious about is like, are you paid by how many are sold or is it just kind of like a, a flat payment for the licensing rights to your name? Do you know what I mean? It's a uh, it's commission based. I get a certain percentage of each guitar sold. It's not a huge percentage, but it's kind of just like it ensures. I don't know. It adds up. Number one, sure. and then also, I I think it means that I get future models as well. Wow, which is great! When I rolled out this the signature, I kind of wanted to have um, a video that didn't come across as I was like trying to sell something. I wanted it to be like a fun science show. So I dressed up as a mad scientist and I was able to like sneakily talk about really boring things to some people like <laughs> the specs and, and all of that. And the, but also like package it in a fun way where like kids would watch it and get stoked. So and I know that when, Je when Ibanez showed the video to uh, Ibanez Japan, they were at first like really confused and like, why would she do this? <laughs> but then like the reception was good. So everyone was really happy. <laughs> yeah, just trust me. I know. Yeah, people like, eat up look, mad just, scientist content. <laughs> just let me do my thing, and if it flops, then I'm sorry. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Well, that's an, that's implicit in everything you do. I think um, we spoke for the Caspian podcast that I did a few months ago, and one thing that I, at least I think I remember from that conversation, what was you know not germane to the topic at hand, but 
what was left on the cutting room floor, if you will. Obviously, you're you're pretty widely regarded for your insane guitar chops, but um, I feel like you told me you haven't been playing for like that long. Is that true? Yeah, I looked at the time and it's been seven years. So. My God, you know, I've, I'm almost 32. I've been playing guitar in some sense since I was in the third grade. And I feel like I plateaued in maybe high school and had just maybe been getting worse oh. since then. So. No, I think it, you just think you're getting worse. I think like with time, you just get more critical. <laughs> oh, that's, oh, that's actually, damn, you just blew my mind a little bit. Whoa. <laughs> so thank you. Oh. Uh, we were just talking about, I was just talking to a friend about the Dunning-Kruger effect this morning. It's pretty interesting. Oh, like, yeah. The more time you spend with something, the less you feel like an expert. Well, I mean, there's a loaded political commentary there, but we'll leave that aside for now. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 so what preceded guitar then in terms of your like musical upbringing? Like, I know you play, you play violin too. Is that right? Yeah. I've actually been sessioned violining for some people during this time as well. Oh, cool. And it's, it's awesome. Like violin's my second instrument. Piano is my first instrument. Um, okay. So yeah, it's it's just been really nice being able to utilize all those skills. I have yet to try to record my own piano session. I think that's one of my goals. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I grew up in the classical world, just classically trained. Okay. At how old and like how long did you take lessons? Did you go to like a music school or academy or just a private teacher? Um, I studied with Russian people. I love Russian people. I mean, that's a generalization. I'm sure there's some Russian people that I might not love, but I'm sure they're cool anyway. <laughs> yet to come across but, them. Yeah, exactly. So far, every Russian person I've met has been dope. I was uh, brought up by Russian people musically, and I went to a Russian uh, Academy of Music, Genghis uh, Academy of Music. That's what it was called. Wow. Where does that pitch you in terms of like how long have you been playing piano, for example? I've been playing piano since I was four. My dad was my first teacher. I still remember every time it was uh, it was time to play and practice piano, I would hide <laughs> and he would have to find me in the house. We don't even have that big of a house. like. But I remember I would crawl under the piano and I would like, refuse to come out. And then he'd like yell at me. So <laughs> it was like pulling teeth at first. And I remember hating piano just because I associate it with like pressure. And, you know, well, you have to if you um, have to do it, then it doesn't feel fun. Yeah, not to mention like it just I don't know, I just associated with a lot of pain. Um mm. and then I learned violin when I was 7, I played in two orchestras. Uh and I was horrible and never practiced. And I think I always coasted on having a good ear. So what I do is before auditions, I would just listen to the the piece like a billion times and then just be able to play it after I listen to it without having sight readed it in the first place. And on one hand, that was really convenient and a sneaky way to just like <laughs> learn material quickly. But it's also been detrimental to my growth because now I'm very slow at reading music. Yeah, boy, sight reading, not, not a chance. I Oh my God. <laughs> one of the things that I tried doing um, in terms of like playing more and improving my chops was I tried to learn on guitar the sax solos for um, uh, Shine On You Crazy Diamond by Pink Floyd. I had to go off of sheet music and there's two different kinds of saxophones and they're like transposed differently. So it's like, wow, what a chore. I'm like a big time ear and tabs guy. So me too. I just like, I remember some people were like, we've gotten the sheet music for you. I'm like, just play it for me. Yeah. Just give me the MIDI. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Did you go to like any higher education for music? Did you go to college to study, you know, 
performance or business or anything? I actually studied visual performing arts education and fine arts. I got a double major because um, I thought I was going to be an art teacher. Oh. And I was for oh, for a while. I was working at art schools. Um, I love teaching. I feel like there's no better way to master something other than teaching it to other people because you have to learn how to justify everything you're doing. You have to be able to explain what you're doing and really like look at your process under a microscope. Um, so yeah, I feel like teaching has made me a better communicator and has made me uh, even approach the music I write a bit differently too and how I explain it to other people. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I never studied music in college. I wish I studied recording in college. That would have been sick. But you know what they say, like sometimes if you study something, it kind of kills the passion for it. Ah, uh, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I studied I studied recording in college and then I oh, found man. out about the site Gear Sluts, which is like kind of the forum for um, audio <laughs> guys with like opinions, you know? And I was like, wow, Hell I yeah. could have learned a lot on there probably. But, you know, college yeah. is fun too. I think um, there's no better way to learn something than just being thrown in the battlefield and just doing it. That's absolutely true. So you, did, so you said you did teach like art class or- yeah, I taught painting. I taught portfolio work for college. Uh, I taught drawing. And yeah, I was. it's cool because you're a teacher, but you're also kind of like low-key therapist for a lot of kids. Hmm. I think a lot of teachers would find that less cool, but I th- it probably depends on the medium too. Ah, uh, Yeah, I think so. I think I liked it because it's like, for me, the valuable part of teaching art is I get to teach these kids an outlet for a lot of the stuff that they're the rough stuff that they're going through yeah and for me that hits close to home no pun intended because I grew up like you know having kind of like a rocky home life at times and Mm. um art and music for me was such an escape and I totally attribute me being alive to this day to having those outlets and um for me I'm just I get excited when kids take to it as as a valuable outlet because it's like another yeah, way to express yeah. themselves, especially the quieter kids who aren't mo- very vocal. Like I totally encourage them to, to try to paint or try to like write music that because it doesn't involve words. It's just like a release of something. Yeah. And, they have a lot to say somehow. Yeah. So obviously you're doing lots of online lessons at this stage. I feel like this is my sacred time to work on creative projects that I've wanted to. And teaching is kind of draining for me. Like it makes mm-hmm. me not want to be creative anymore because I'm so tired. Talk about process oriented is like walking someone through the, your decision making, right? So Yeah. And it's like at the end, I feel like I've run a marathon mentally. So I'm just like, oh, I don't have energy to like write my own music now. Mm. Talk about some other jobs that you've had. Like when you were forming covet or when you were starting to put your own stuff out even like how are you how are you funding those things like what kind of I basically only had teaching jobs um so I was working as a teacher at two art schools and it was nice but I will say that yes it was very draining something about like at one point I had like three classes a day with like up to 20 25 kids in each class so and it's like young kids too like I love teaching high school people because they're generally chill and it's like kind of like 
I don't know. I feel like I can bro down. I kind of look like a high schooler still. So, <laughs> you know, I'm just like, all right, what's the goss? Who's bullying who? Like, <laughs> Do kids still say, spilled, what's the goss? Uh, no, probably. I just dated myself, huh? No, they say, spill the tea. Well, I figure that, that anytime is... <laughs> I hear one of those kind of colloquialisms, once it's made its way to me, it's already like not cool and out of... <laughs> Out of uh, fashion, so you you know uh, you know that that movie where Steve Buscemi is like a high schooler and he's like what is, what is up fellow teenagers fellow teens yeah yeah <laughs> oh, yeah his, his shirt says music band yeah I, I, I want that, that shirt. shirt it's great um, it was just exhausting anyways teaching classes of different age groups and at the end of the day I just wanted to like I don't know like I I want my heart was like write music like um. But I just didn't have the focus anymore. I remember I used to come up with melodies during class and I used to be like, oh man, I hope my old boss isn't listening to this. But I used to go to the bathroom and hum into my phone. I'd be like, Miss Yvette is going to use the bathroom. Be right back. And I would just open up my voice record and be like, you know, humming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I don't think your old boss can take action now. Yeah, it doesn't It doesn't matter. It's. I still taught the class. I just maybe took like a 15 minute pee break oh, that no. was actually me just like unacceptable <laughs> yeah <laughs> i have kidney stones <laughs> oh god I hear you screaming from the bathroom down the hall yeah yeah um so when did music start to be like your dominant income source when did you start to center your life around it in a serious way yeah it's funny is i never i never imagined myself doing this like it certainly was something that i thought was really cool but i never had the dream I'm going to be on a stage and I'm going to tour and I'm going to like be in front of crowds and a lot of, and a lot of people have their eyes on me. Like for me, I'm not exactly even that kind of person. Like I'm quite private and shy and I feel like um, I don't enjoy uh, having people watch me all the time. <laughs> it's, wow. But it's like, I know it's, it's like such a weird thing to admit, but it's weird cause I'm like good at it. I'm good at like curating social media um, and I think the only my saving grace, my north star this whole time has just been trying to keep um everything authentic. Like authenticity really matters to me. So I think that's the only way I've been able to su- uh survive having all this pressure on me all the time. Uh but yeah, I I remember the conscious it wasn't a conscious shift over. It was kind of like a gradual phasing out of the teaching. And then one day I realized that I was being unfair to the kids that I was teaching because I was just disappearing. Like they'd build this bond with me and then I'd have to hire a substitute for a month. So, <laughs> and also I, f- I felt really guilty to my boss for, you know, just disappearing always and having her be accommodating to me. So I kind of just removed myself and I was like, you know what, like touring is kind of taking over my life and I have to focus all my energy on that right now. And I can't have one foot in one foot out. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I I think it was, it was kind of, it wasn't as scary as I thought it would be because I think it was such a gradual shift. And I knew that like I had good relationships with all the people I was working with. So if I ever wanted to go back, I could. Yeah. I mean, that's huge. And I'm just, I guess I'm just projecting my own like mid thirties, like career guy. Like if I tried to do that now, I'd be scared out of my mind. But I don't know, when, when you kind of have been building toward it, it doesn't feel quite as hard to step over the ledge, if that makes sense. Yeah. And also, like, I so view like nothing is permanent. Like when you make a decision, it's not like you can't. Well, OK, some things are permanent. I don't <laughs> want to sound like that that person. But I feel like because I've spent a lot of time trying to be well-rounded and trying to like, 
you know, I, I am very passionate, invested in music, but I also love teaching and I also love, you know, learning how to edit things and I love painting and drawing. So I think being multifaceted kind of helps me not feel that scared because I know that like if one thing fails, um, I can always try to work on those other things. I can always go back to teaching. I can, you know, um, go to painting and stuff. Like if anything, I'm very blessed and lucky to to be have all these outlets. You've been overseas, yeah? You've been to UK at least? Yeah. Yeah. I really want to go to Europe. I still haven't played in Europe. It's the best. It's as good as it gets, I, I think. I know. I love being in Europe too. Like, just I love being – I just recently did a clinic in Paris, but it wasn't like playing a show. It was just teaching. And oh, I love the people there. Uh, who sets that up? Like, how does that, how does that come about? Because that's a big to-do unless you're – if you're not already going to be in Europe for something. You know what I mean? Yeah. I did it through Didario uh Didario clinics um they basically I was promoting a new product the XT strings mm -hmm. uh and they sent me a pair and I tried it out and then I did a clinic and talked about the strings a bit and then um you know played some songs and taught just had a Q&A sesh but yeah they planned it all and it was one of the most amazing things I've done I feel like I was also going through something rough at the time so it was just a really great distraction nice <laughs> As well. Obviously, they book your flight and everything. And you just show up and everything is kind of taken care of? Or? Uh huh. Um, I booked myself a, a week extra because I wanted to adjust to the time zone. Oh, yeah. Because I knew that, like, if I had to teach and answer questions on, like, a weird time zone difference, I would be falling asleep and incoherent and I wouldn't be my best self. So I wanted to, I, I kind of paid for myself to live there a, a week just to also practice right see some friends so it's kind of a, a great way to like put in some vacation time um and take care of some other things like maybe other press opportunities but also you know um get a clinic done i i always try to like when i'm traveling i always try to i hate this expression but kill two birds with one stone um <laughs> yeah yeah. Awful expression. Are you vegetarian like by chance? <laughs> yes, I am. Okay. I just, right I love birds. <laughs> so things like, uh, what else is there besides Nam? Because that's like the big gear con, right? Yeah. When did you start attending those sorts of things? I started attending, the first time I did it was with my dad and I, I didn't actually even play guitar yet. I just went because he was like, Yvette, there's this cool convention. You might think it's awesome. There's many people who look like Brett Michaels there and you might have fun. <laughs> um, and I was like, okay. And I went and it was like truly like a kid in a candy store. But I was also too shy to talk to anyone and try out anything. Like Nam on paper sounds sick, but like you're like, oh, I'm going to be able to try out the sickest effects, like the newest guitars. And then you go and it's just like sonic overload, just super overwhelming. Oh, it's like being in a hundred guitar centers at once. Yeah. Oh my God. And you can't hear anything. There's like a decibel limit and then like people are filming you. So you can't, you just feel scared. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I remember the first year I went, it was fun. And then I, I got endorsed and I started going as an artist and it just became less about exploring and seeing new gear and more about just fulfilling the objectives for the day and doing your demos and doing your press conferences. And yeah, it's it just becomes work. <laughs> are you encouraged to go? Are you required to go by some of these companies? Are they are they are they hiring you to um, appear? I have a manager that will negotiate my payment for me, but I have done done stuff for free. For me, it's it's less about getting paid because I don't think I'm gonna get paid a lot. 
um, NAM is really expensive. So these companies are really investing a lot of money to tr- and having trying to just have that visibility. And a lot of companies, it's a lot of setup too. Like they have to like, you know, I've I've seen people have to tear down set up booths and it's exhausting. Yeah, like, like for a after- normal convention that sucks. But then when you have um, technical like signal chain trouble, oh my god. Can't even imagine. Exactly. And it's like you're talk as an A and R person, you're talking, you're using your voice for like probably seven hours straight. Um, and it's nonstop people. And then you have to like carry heavy things at the end of the day. So <laughs> it's like that's a lot of work. But that being said, it's a wonderful opportunity to network. I was saying, sorry, I went on a bit of a tangent, but like for these companies, like I view it as a chance to build my relationship and be like, hey, I'll do this for you. I really appreciate everything you've done for me. So I'll like go do a performance. And it's it's just like a good faith gesture for me. That being said, it's nice being paid for it too. Like oh, yeah. it's a balance. If you liked anything you heard today, please consider pre-ordering that new Covet record. It's called Technicolor. It comes out on Triple Crown Records next Friday, June 5th. It's great. I'm sure of it. Their old stuff is great, too. I will have all the pertinent links and information you desire in the description of this episode, including to the ever-growing Spotify playlist with all the songs that I've featured on the show. If you want to support Selling Out with a financial contribution, head over to patreon.com slash Podcast. It's still May. I'm still matching contributions and sending them over to Get Us PPE. Still got a pandemic going on, people in a country that has spent the last several decades offshoring manufacturing jobs. Don't make them like they used to. They don't make them at all. If you want to get in touch with me, I'm at sellingoutpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at sellingoutad, on Instagram at sellingoutpodcast. If you've appreciated this episode or any of the past ones, leave a nice rating and review on your podcatcher of choice. It helps people find the show. Alternatively, you could uh, dub this episode backwards onto your next vinyl release. It's red meat for weirdos. Theme music by Such Gold. Cover photo by Nick Di Natale. I'm Mike Moschetto. Thanks for listening to Selling Out. Selling Out.